Welcome to episode 61 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And this week, we will be continuing our recap of season three of Avatar The Last Airbender with episodes 307, The Runaway, and 308, The Puppet Master. As always, potential spoiler warning for both Avatarverse TV shows, the Kiyoshi novels, Katara and the Pirate Silver, and Suki Alone. Before we get started into the news, Kayla, how are we doing this week? Pretty good. At the time we're, at the time we're recording this, it's before Halloween, so I'm very excited for Halloween weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually a weekend, you know, because Halloween's on a Sunday this year, but um, I'm really excited for that. But yeah, I'm doing pretty well, you know, trucking along, trying to get through the rest of the semester before I can take a vacation in December, so. Yeah, <sighs> absolutely. Yeah. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to ho- to, to Halloween this weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to passing out candy because we didn't do that last year. And I don't know how like engaged this particular neighborhood is with trick-or-treating. Um, I mean, like we live in an all right neighborhood, but I feel like maybe some people would go to like richer neighborhoods for stuff like that. But But yeah, our house is the only one that has like decorations on this block i mean there's a couple here and there but overall it's it's not as i mean our house looks like a freaking spirit halloween on the front um but that's how we that's how we do it for that for halloween and christmas um and and speaking of christmas youtube i use youtube a lot while i'm working just for like music and stuff and for some reason these like christmas covers and christmas songs keep ending up on my autoplay and i'm like it's like uh-uh. those. It's like the TikToks of like me trying to do Halloween, and then around the corner is like Mariah Carey. Uh, it's I exactly like, like that. Ooh, I got to yeah. phase in Mariah Carey. Like, I mean, trust me, I'm one of the people who start listening to Christmas music the day after Halloween. However, however, I have a process. I start out with the ones that don't always get played a lot on the radio, exactly. and then work my way through it. Because by the t- if I'm not careful, I have to be very careful with this stuff. If I listen to too much <laughs> Mariah Carey. Before Thanksgiving, I'm going to hate myself and everyone by the time December comes around. So just exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm gonna hold off on Christmas stuff for a couple of weeks. I think I might have started doing spoopy stuff a little too early this year. So yeah, I'm a, I was here. like middle of uh, middle of October, I was a little burnt out on Halloween a little bit. So yeah. um I might hold off on that. Like I just do it slowly, like a very slowly phase into Christmas season, you know? Yeah. I know my boyfriend has already started a Spotify Christmas playlist and I, I can't remember what he called it, but it was something funny. I'm trying to find it. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, it's Slay, slay, slay! But it's like a Christmas sleigh. <laughs> I love that so much. Send me that playlist. I want a good Christmas playlist. <laughs> yeah, we're we're it's currently under construction, so oh, we will send it out when, so it's, when it's ready. Re- when it's ready, I'm, yeah. I I would like the link to it, please and thank you. <laughs> I can't remember what I I I think I suggested like gays we have heard on high or something like that. Um, I wanted something just like religiously coded to make it a big fuck you to religion. Um, I love it. But yeah, that that works. But yeah, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Can we talk a little bit about the comments on uh last week's episode? Oh my god. Yeah. Like Cause... I mean, it's <laughs> probably the most comments we've gotten on a post like ever, right? Of that nature, I would yeah, I'd say so. Um if you if you don't know what we're referring to, so last week we did an episode talking about whether or not the US is the fire nation. And People had thoughts on our Instagram, thoughts and feelings. And we had to like post something on our story being like, hey, like we're very aware that the Fire Nation is not like based on the U.S. I think people were were interpreting the question of like, is the Fire Nation based on the U.S., which is a very different question from what we asked. (laughs) Um, And it all Kayla also pointed out that the people who were commenting don't seem to be listeners of the show um because the things that were being commented were extensively addressed in the actual episode yeah and i mean i'm not gonna make people listen to a whole hour and 20 minute episode but me personally i'm not gonna comment on a on a post about a podcast that i haven't listened to yeah because there's like a lot of a lot of context missing but um but I told my boyfriend that he's like, oh, it's very controversial. You'll probably get a lot of numbers soon. And I was like, I mean, I guess that's a silver lining. <laughs> I mean, hey, one of our most popular episodes is the controversy of Legend of Chorus. Uh, so like... That's true. And you know what? I wonder how that episode would perform now in terms of comments. Because when we did it back then, it was like our second episode or something. 
And mm-hmm. it had a lot of plays, yeah, but we didn't have a whole we didn't have the social media following that we have now. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering like what that that would be like. Yeah. I don't curious. know. Maybe during hiatus we can like release, re-release older episodes, like like a flashback. I don't know, something like that. Because yeah, we do like have that. a lot of, of new listeners. Um Absolutely. And we're so happy to have so many new listeners. Welcome. If you haven't listened to us before, thanks hello. for joining us. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, we're not we're not like mad or anything, but I think it's worth reiterating that we prefer to keep our comment section civil and preferably not attacking us. Um, Please and thank you. Because, I mean, Kayla and I work really hard to research stuff for episodes like that and craft a Google Doc and, and record and edit and all that stuff. So we don't want our like, you know, work to be misinterpreted or anything. So no. I'll I'm just say that and then we can move on right from there. Um Kay- Kaylee, did you have any words on that before we before we move on? I mean, there this like it was an advertisement for an episode. It was not meant yeah. to be like, you know, open for interpretation there. It's just here's our a new episode. Here's the title of said episode. You know, go you know, go check it out. Yeah, and, and I think at that point, everything else that I wanted to say, you've said, just like, you know, there's context. We did a lot of research for this. We did answer the question. Like, yeah, and a lot of people, I'm sorry, I, I know Ace, we're going to move on, but a lot of people were like, yes, but no, which is the exact thing we that's, ended up on in the episode. That was our final answer. Yes, but no. We can see some parallels, but, you know. We also preluded that question with 25 minutes of setting it up and doing other it so i'm just saying just uh, yeah <laughs> just be mindful if you're gonna comment about something that you haven't listened to you know just be aware of of the repercussions of that anyway moving on what's the news we have some news <laughs> so yeah let's talk about some news fucking finally um so the kiyoshi novel box set uh was released recently um this box set comes with two hardcover editions of the rise of kiyoshi and Shadow Kiyoshi, as well as some deleted scenes. And apparently there is one deleted story that's 16 pages long. And the scene was ultimately cut from Shadow of Kiyoshi. And it comes with commentary from author F.C. Um, the writer explains how the scene in question was edited and eventually cut from their final draft. Um, and I think we... C- was this the the thing you sent me, Kayla? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like it's, uh, it's like there's like a deleted scene where like... Um, I think they're like playing a game and like... Kiyoshi needed like a team or a crest or something to play under. Um, and so she asked to take Rangi's like crest or like, you know, that kind the of house thing. house name, yeah. Yeah. And so that just like just made the gays go wild. That's fine. It's me. I'm the gays. Because uh- <laughs> <laughs> they, it's like more or less a marriage proposal um, in that world. Like, oh my God, so cute. But yeah, so I don't cute. I don't know what the other deleted scenes are. I'm interested to get my hands on them and maybe we can do an after hour episode on them. Um, that would be good. Yeah. I'm also kind of annoyed that I'm like, man, you released this now after we've covered both books <laughs> exactly. already? Like, just finished covering both books. Exactly. Are you kidding me? Um, Still cool, though. Yeah, and when I was doing research for this, I thought the box set was coming with uh, paper da- paperback editions, um, but it looks like those have been delayed until May. So these will be uh, hardcover books um, that you can get. And you can get both of these books for um, $37.99 USD. From Bookshop, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and any other place you can get books. Um, and there seem to be some sales going on pretty much in all of these places. You can get it for like $33, $34. Um, so it saves you a couple bucks if you just bought the two separately. Um, but yeah, we're going to hopefully try and and get our hands on those deleted scenes. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that. And then our second piece of news, um, the London mobile branch of Square Enix Studios is currently developing games based on Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender. And the Avatar game is in joint development with Navigator Games, which is another mobile game studio. And the game is described as an action arcade-style adventure designed specifically for mobile. Um, and this is the from Crystal Dynamics, which is the developer behind the modern Tomb Raider trilogy. And they are also working on the game. Um, I read this headline completely wrong and thought we were getting like a like a like a PS5 like actual like Avatar game. Um, and that was not the case, but still holding out hope. But yeah, what do you think about this, Kayla? Um, hey, I don't really play like games on my phone anymore since Temple Run uh, kind of went out of fashion. Uh, but, <laughs> so, got any games? Uh, but I, 
honestly, I think that's super cool. I mean, I don't know how many Avatar video games there are out there. And especially now with like how like there's, like I said, the renaissance mm-hmm. it makes you wonder, like, you know, like you said, with like the PS5 stuff, I'm like, huh, do you think that maybe they would eventually venture more into the video game world now that it's become more popular and Avatar Studios and all I that I think they stuff? would because they have. There were a couple of games that were released um, in the early 2000s 2010s i know because i had one of them it was for playstation 2 um and there were also some wii games um i think there were like two games um that came out and they were like (laughs) non i don't think they were canonical um they were kind of like sort of set within the same timeline but not really it was kind of weird um and i know there was a legend of korra game that came out for ps3 and that was also non-canonical, but it covered the first two seasons, but it was a completely different story. I don't know. It's a very weird direction to go in. Um, it would be cool, though, to see like a video game that would have like it would take place like maybe during one of the avatars that hasn't really been explored. As oh, much. yeah, I would. Like, I will. You know, kind of like how like that um, role playing game explores different avatar eras like that would be super absolutely. Cool to have and that. I think um, I shudder to think what uh like video game like hyper realistic CGI avatar character might look like. Huh. Um I think it'd be kind of weird huh. going from 2D animation to hyper realistic uncanny valley three three D CGI. Um yeah. but I think it would be cool to set a like um an RPG game in like maybe within the hundred years war. I don't know. Like they have like I mean well like the tabletop game they do have like the um you know different years like the hundred years war before Aang and after Roku like that stuff so that's for like the D and D kind of game but for a video game I think that would yeah. be super cool yeah and I I know I famously said like I don't really want things set in that time frame because I can only see it as like super depressing but if Depressed. they wanted to like avoid uh using characters from uh like the shows or anything uh i think that would be a good place to to set it in um and you can like choose your element and it's like um decision based stuff like i think that could be cool um but yeah we'll stay tuned for that absolutely sweet well we have patreon news we have not one but two new patrons to give a shout out to we have anthony who is at our metal bender level and cj who's at our five dollar air acolyte level metal benders three dollars and we'd like to thank you so much for subscribing and welcome to our patreon family if you would like to receive some of these same benefits that cj and anthony have like our show notes zoom recordings early and ad free episodes and our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast. You can do it for as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month. $5 a month is the Air Acolyte level, and that will get you access to the After Hour. So basically, we just talk about like a smaller, it's like we take like a smaller topic mm-hmm. and just kind of elaborate on it further. Um, we have a special bonus edition for Spooky Season to wrap up Spooky Season, because I know this mm-hmm. episode will be airing after uh, <laughs> Halloween. But this one will be reacting to Avatar Halloween costumes, which is very fun. I put that I put that slideshow together. It's yeah, just and I haven't seen these costumes. <laughs> so, and what is what is the rating scale that we will be using? So for any of you who are on TikTok, it's uh yeah, have seen like that audio, heard the audio of like slayed, literally traumatizing, <laughs> partially slayed, you know. Those are the three categories for it. It's like the scale is like slayed, partially slayed, and literally traumatizing. Uh, I know there's other part categories in that video of like, you know, Merry Christmas, <laughs> yeah. no comment, that kind of stuff. But let's face it, we don't have that time for that. So we're just going to go with the three. So check that out. Available on our Patreon, which you can get if you're subscribed to our Air Acolyte level or the $5 level. Cool. And with that, let's get into our recap for this week. All right, so let's start with 307, The Runaway. Um, so I think this is the first episode, or the only episode, that does this whole starting at the end and flashing back to a couple days thing. Um, and it's interesting. I'm going to get to that later on when we catch up with the events of the story. But there actually is a media term for this, which I did not know, and it's called in media res, which just means in the middle of things. And this is a media or storytelling tool where exposition is bypassed and filled in gradually through dialogue, flashbacks, or description past events. It's not really something you see anymore. This was kind of the hallmark of a lot of 90s, 2000s, 2010s movies. But 
I I it's I don't think I've seen one um recently, but yeah, that was something really cool. I uh, just noticed I want to do a little research on. The more you know. Yeah, so we kept to three days before Katara and Hoff are training Aang, who's practicing using seismic sense to detect attacks. I really like that they did this only because this is the only other time he uses it apart from his fight with Ozai. So I think they were like even planning before then that they wanted to set up that he could do it before they got to the final fight. Toph accidentally hits Katara with a rock in the middle of the training and the two start fighting each other. And Sokka from behind Aang suddenly charges behind him saying sneak attack. And Aang's like, it's not a sneak attack if you <laughs> if you scream it. Like, Sokka is so smart, <laughs> but also he is so dumb. And I love that. The duality. <laughs> it's called versatility, Kayla. Exactly. There you go. He's giving the judges charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Um, <laughs> Aang interrupts Katara and Toph and uh, they stop fighting. Katara goes up to clean up and Toph suggests to the boys that they go into town and have some fun, to which they readily agree. As they're walking through the city, Toph suggests that they earn more money from a gambling game that's happening. Um, she's able to detect through her earthbending that the dealer is cheating others um, by taking, like, he's doing the whole, like, rock under the cups thing and he's basically shifting the rocks into his sleeves so they no one can possibly win. So Toph gets called over by the guy and he at first, like, puts rocks in all of them to increase their chances. Um, and as they ante up more, Toph uses her earthbending to basically bend the small pebble back into the cup and they win a lot of uh, silver pieces. So they return to the camp with a bunch of supplies and Katara asks where they got it from. And she advises them against the scams as it could catch some unwanted attention that they don't need. Ignoring Katara, Toph goes on a, a scam montage, uh, winning even more money. And I always love when avatar does like montages because they think they're they're really funny and we get to see the return of the the wang fire costume which is not really a costume so much as an experience oh yes absolutely um, <laughs> and also there's some really cool trivia in here um so the town they're in is called fire fountain city which is a terrible name Oof. but it was originally named north shangling which if we remember is the town that kiyoshi rangi and heron visited to find naihitha in shadow of kiyoshi i think they mentioned like there was like the carnival like they kind of like the carnival setup they had for the festival and like you know the scans and all that stuff you know yeah that makes sense town character consistency <laughs> yeah i always love when when we have like bits of reverse world building Especially on the last recap episode where technically you could see a painting of Fire Lord Zoryu in the Fire Nation gallery, um, even though that character wasn't created at that point. That's so cool. Yeah. So Katara continues to warn that these scams are dangerous and immoral. Toph tells her to quit acting like the mother of the group. And when Katara suggests Toph is making a fuss because she secretly misses her own parents, Toph angrily storms off. So at this point in the episode... Where do you lie? I know I know we don't like picking sides, but at this point, where do you where do you kind of who do you agree with more in this instance? Um, I can see both sides on this. I don't really have like a particular, you know, like, I mean, yeah, like they're definitely bringing attention to themselves that they should not be bringing. Mm -hmm. um, but also like Katara, like, you know, being like the motherly character of the group, you know, um, however, I'm not mad at her for that because I'm like, well, that's a trauma response. I get it. <laughs> so, love that. We love self-awareness. Like, so I'm just like, I don't really have, I mean, like, they're also, I'm like, they're kids. Like, you know, like they need mm -hmm. to, you know, be careful, but also like Katara, like, I don't hate Katara at all. We've established that. Like, right. you know, we don't, we do not slander Katara on this podcast, <laughs> you know? Um, right. I don't know. I see both sides of the argument here, honestly, with like, you know, Toph telling her not to be so motherly and like Katara saying, well, you're going to bring a lot of attention to ourselves that we don't really need right now. Yeah. So more on that later. Um, after going to town to buy a messenger hawk, which Sokka smartly names Hawkey, Sokka finds a wanted poster for Toph, uh, who has been dubbed the runaway. I just want, I love the joke that gets made like two different times of like, no, like, look at this. And Toph's like, okay, I can't see that. It sounds like a piece of paper. It like, sounds like a piece of paper. <laughs> like, just, the joke for that. Fantastic. Also, apparently Avatar Wiki um, has translated some of the characters on the wanted poster. And apparently it, some of it says pretends to be blind. <laughs> So these people think they're they're like actually like Tav is pretending to be blind to scam people. 
um, which I think is, I don't know if it's funny, but it's, I don't know. I just, I just thought it was, it was a, it was a fun a detail. Um, fun detail. Sokka shows Toph uh, the Wonder Poster and she's delighted and she's like, does it look it like me? And Sokka looks like he's like, actually, yeah, I kind of does. <laughs> like with the, like a sharp teeth and like... Yeah. I just love like, um, how she gets delighted by like depictions of her that aren't in like 100% accurate. Like as much as the Ember Island players have to yeah. like just delighted yeah. by it. Yeah. Um, Toph convinces Sokka to keep the Wonder Poster a secret from Katara and gives him some money for Appa's armor and some expensive Fire Nation atlases. Um, and while rummaging through Toph's belongings, Katara discovers this Wanda Poster and confronts Toph. Toph angrily replies that Katara is not her mother and should not give her orders. From that moment on, the two of them refuse to speak to one another. Um, so yeah, we're kind of seeing a repeat of what happened during the chase episode. Uh, after Toph like just had joined the group and Katara was not uh, happy with how much Toph was like contributing to setting up camp and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've already touched on how Katara is, it's possibly is there's some sort of trauma response going on there. But I think just looking at it from a feminism standpoint, I was just a little bit uncomfortable with, the the vilifying of the motherly archetype and how yeah. that is a bad thing and it's, it's it's twofold because on the one hand there is that harmful trope of the woman in the group having to be the mother figure all you boys having to clean up after you boys like right black widow in age of ultron yeah and while and while she's not and Katara is not the only woman in the group yeah. she's she is definitely the the oldest um in save Sokka but yeah so it's kind of like I kind of go back and forth on it because at the same time there is a reason why Katara has developed that motherly characteristic but the way that it's treated in the story it's almost like a bad thing that she's too motherly I don't know like did you get kind of the same vibe from that I didn't um, like I didn't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. I just think it fits for her character and what she went through. Um, yeah. Another thing to remember is that kids, I like they're all these characters are kids, right? And they don't like have concepts of what trauma responses are <laughs> and right. things like that. They don't have that kind of understanding that we do. I'd say most people don't. Most people don't, but you know, yeah. you know, at least for me, I'm a mentally ill person in therapy, so like I'm very, very aware of these things. <laughs> so. Uh, but you know, I don't think it's that bad personally mm-hmm. that she's not like, she's not being crucified for it. Oh, you know? no, no. And I know that there is the element of like, kids don't like being told what to do and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But, and I, and I do think Katara is ultimately like validated by the end of the episode and that she was right that this would turn into something bad. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'm looking too much into it, but it just, it was just a thing that, that kept coming up and, and I don't really know if I've made my, my, I made up my mind one way or another, but I don't know. It's just something to to think about. I think it's interesting. So later on, uh, Sokka tries to write an apology message by posing as Toph and uses hockey to send it to Katara. But Katara knows that it's not from Toph because Toph can't write. Again, <laughs> and- <laughs> like the boys are so smart. They're some like super clever fighters and all that stuff. But my God, they are so dumb sometimes. And I love that. The versatility, as you said earlier. <laughs> and then Sokka is like, well, maybe I can try writing a message and pretend it's from Katara and send it to Toph. And then Aang's like, I feel like we're going to run into a similar problem. <laughs> and that was a really good joke. I really liked so that. Um, so Sokka later on, you know, talks to Toph and tries to mend this distance between her and Katara. And as they're discussing this, um, Katara is actually under them um, bathing in the water beneath the cliff where they're sitting and Sokka reveals how Katara took on the role of their mother after her death so much so that to Sokka she eventually replaced the face of their mother and Toph admits that she appreciates Katara's motherly nature and believes Katara cares for her more than her real mother ever did um, so this is a really I think this is a, a standout highlight in this episode um, because we don't often hear Toph talking about her emotions or her feelings or stuff like that. And I think it's really sweet that she's able to open up to Sokka um, of all people, you know, 
Because mm-hmm. you would think it, it might be easier to open up to someone closer to her age. Or maybe that's a hindrance to her and she wants someone... It's easier to relate something like that with someone who's older and maybe more experienced with something like that. But yeah, I I think this is a, a really great little scene for both Sokka and Toph. Absolutely. So, touched by what she heard beneath the cliff, Katara later approaches Toph and suggests that she and Toph work together to collect the bounty that she has accumulated as the runaway, as the ultimate scam. Aang and Sokka pass out from shock. I just love, <laughs> love their reactions. They kill me. Like, just the raw shock and horror on their faces. Yeah. Oh uh, it's it's really funny. Katara pretends to turn in Toph to the authorities. Uh, and this is so this is the first scene of the episode. However, the entire scenario turns out to be a trap set up by Combustion Man. Katara and Toph are imprisoned in a cell made of wood, material that neither of them can bend. And then Toph realizes that this is a trap to lure Aang. And Katara apologizes for getting them into this, saying that she just wanted to show Toph that she isn't always so motherly and that she can be fun too. Toph says that she knows she can be fun and that she guessed correctly that she really missed her parents. And uh, she cries and Katara comforts her, which again is a really great emotional emotionally vulnerable moment for both of them. Absolutely. As Aang and Sokka battle Combustion Man, Toph and Katara try to devise a way to escape the cage. Katara ends up waterbending her own sweat to slice through the wooden cell and escape the prison. Katara and Toph later on race to help Aang, arriving just in time to save him from Combustion Man. And Toph manages to strike Combustion Man's third eye with a pebble, knocking him back. And when he tries to fire another explosion, um, apparently his like chi is blocked and the air, the air around him explodes and the group manages to escape. Yeah, so I mean this is a, I mean, you know, action sequence like, you know, fine. Um he kind of comes out like out of nowhere and I feel like every time Combustion Man comes on, I I only I get a little bit annoyed only because I just want to know more about him. I don't want like a whole episode on his backstory or anything. No. Um but I don't know if him not talking is in service of his character. I think it does the exact opposite. Like, you can have mystery. Or they just want to hire another voice actor. <laughs> that too. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's a budget thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not bad that he's shrouded in this mystery, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, you know the, the gang is going to be fine. And while he does shake up the finding dynamic a little bit, it is kind of like, okay. Eh, Great. I don't. I, I have no feelings about this character, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just because the vil- the villains overall are very very cool, and just while the combustion bending is pretty cool, the character itself, I don't know. Well, they kind of make up for like the combustion bending, like lack of like in you know interesting character stuff about the combustion bender, and put that in Legend of Korra. So at least we get that. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Yeah, exactly. At least well, they cause... make up for. I think I think I think that's one of the things that they noticed from like their main series. They're like, well, we don't really like get the chance to you know explore the combustion man's character. Let's make a combustion ma'am and put her in the next <laughs> series. I mean, exactly. And what it's, it's also because like when you think of Pali, like her whole thing isn't just combustion bending. Like she has relationships with other people. She has like a story of her own, you know. So and she has I one of the know. most brutal deaths in the entire series. Uh, like <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I mean, honestly, I don't know where we would be able to finagle some sort of explanation or story for a combustion man, but I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. At the end, Toph realizes that she does not truly hate her parents after all, and Katara helps her write down a a heartfelt message to her parents, which she sends Hockey to deliver, and the episode ends with Sokka going, where's Hockey? (laughs) And Hockey is never seen again. They, They never find him again. Yeah, that's the end of the episode. So, I don't know. I think this is a really... You know, I, I think what kind of happened is like Toph and Katara's conflict in the chase episode was, I don't think, really resolved or they didn't really make up or anything. It was kind of like the next episode and they're fine again. Yeah. So I think the the creators might have realized that and kind of wrote in this mini conflict to get them closer together and, you know, resolve the putting them in situations bit. that requires them to be emotionally vulnerable. And I think it, it works. It works really, really well. It adds like a whole other dimension to the dynamic within this group. Any last thoughts? Nothing else. Uh, I did actually was wondering what uh, hockey lives like. So what is like what happens to hockey in this episode? We never see him again. <laughs> and then I saw the ending. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. All right. So we will move on to 308, The Puppet Master. But first, we're going to take a quick break and we will see you after that. 
Hey everyone, Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening, and now back to the show. And we are back with 308, The Puppet Master. So this is wonderful wonderful coincidental timing because we're wrapping up spooky season and we're talking about their spooky episode Mm -hmm. for avatar which actually aired in november i believe in the u.s and like in october in the uk so it worked with the halloween special kind of thing every show is a hollow like you know a lot of shows have halloween specials and this kind of fits in it um Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, right off the bat, it op- the episode opens with a shot of the full moon and with some creepy music box-esque music, very different from our typical opening, you know, music. Um, already setting the stage for the creepier stuff that's about to happen. So the gang's all gathered around the campfire and they're telling ghost stories and Sokka tells a lame one, which I think Toph's one of my favorite lines from Toph in that episode. It's like, are all Water Tribe slumber parties this lame? Like... <laughs> <laughs> like amazing um but then katara contributes a spooky water tribe story about how her mother's friend disappeared in a snowstorm and apparently haunts the house she used to live in and like you could see smoke coming out of it from like you know trying mm-hmm. to keep warm i also wanted to point out that this, the voice that katara makes when she's imitating the, the ghost of that little girl <laughs> creeped yeah. me out i was not i was like whoa yes. i did not expect that out of her <laughs> just mm-hmm. notes there which is which is her story a proper spooky campfire story, perfect. She she had like perfect. the atmosphere, like she set this. She did the voices, like amazing. Good for her. And can we also give a shout out to Jack DeSena for <laughs> his like screaming the, but like <laughs> going completely insane with it. It was it, that cracks me up every Absolutely. single time. He like that good. Oh my god, Jack DeSena. We- <laughs> I, I, I've we don't it. deserve him we don't deserve him you're absolutely right um but anyway Toph suddenly notices through earth bending that there's people trapped under the mountain who are screaming which scares the gang after all of these spooky stories that's terrifying that your blind friend is like there are people screaming under the mountains like, uh, excuse me <laughs> it's like you're gonna die in there like same energy like, oh my god and then they get another good scare from this random ass old lady who shows up at their campsite, but she calms them down. She's like, you know, hi, like, you know, like you guys shouldn't be out here in the woods and all that stuff. Like, you know, I have like a nice place for you to stay. My name's Hama, you know, all that stuff. She's, she asks, like, she comes, like, she's creepy. Uh-huh. And then she's like, oh, wait, she falls into this nice old lady, you know, trope thing. But we all know that this is like not the case. I got to say, though, like, mm. I love the horror esque like setup because even it works for oh, yeah. people who like especially with introducing Hama and like what we see in the next few scenes because it works for people who've already seen this episode and know it's like we're yelling don't go in the house like you know but yeah. even for people who uh haven't seen the episode and don't really know the whole story and don't really know exactly who Hama is yet they still kind of feel like something's not quite right here and that also works for like setting up a scary spooky episode Absolutely. Anyway, so they stay overnight in Hama's Inn and they, you know, have some tea and she reveals that there's some people, uh, people tend to disappear during the full moon, especially in the woods where they just camped in. Ooh. Uh, and then just, <laughs> Ooh. and then they just, and then like, you know, they have some tea and she's like, what? And so she, she drops it, like people who disappear in the woods, they were just camping in. She's like, anyone want more tea? And everyone's like, uh, who wants more tea? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's funny like Sokka in particular has a hard time sleeping then immediately passes out with like the spooky noises going on in the end just, which just I've, I've never related to Sokka like so much I'm in this moment sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always like yeah I don't know if I'm gonna sleep As, especially um, if it's like raining outside I love the, the sound of rain outside if it's at night I I always like oh, I'm not gonna be able to sleep passes out absolutely passes out i i do like i used to have a hard time sleeping with like all the noises going on in my apartment so i got a sound machine like 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 a sound machine with that plays like ocean noises like mm-hmm. i'm an actual baby like that stuff is like hypnotic to me so. my old my old apartment the the floor right above me had the squeakiest fucking bed <sighs> and every time you i could hear them like sitting on it and then getting up and then laying down and getting up and it was like 
Oh my god. Um, oh, but no. then they they got into a fight with one of the roommates. It got evicted. So I was cool. Yay. I guess. I don't know. Yay for you and your sleep schedule. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, so back to the episode. The gang and Hama go shopping the next morning in the village, and they hear some of the stories about the full moon and people disappearing. Sokka and Aang think, theorize that this is a angry spirit situation. Uh, but after... This is one of the creepiest moments in the episode. Like, Sokka remarks to how mysterious the town is, and then Hama gives this weird-ass smile, and she's like, it's a mysterious town for mysterious children. And I'm like... <laughs> mysterious town for mysterious children. Like, nope. <laughs> mm-mm. mm And, like, That's... the super close-up on her face. It happens multiple times. There's so many crazy close-ups on her face. I'm like, oh, yeah. guys, stop it. Please. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so, and that, of course, kind of puts Sokka over the edge for being a little, little bit, something's not quite right here. Uh, the gang then go back to the inn and Hama goes, continues her shopping in the village. And Sokka is just tearing the place apart, trying to find anything suspicious. She, they literally, like, literally, like, she's like, just tearing through it. He opens a cabinet and a bunch of, like, puppets fall out. Oh, my God. I forgot what the episode's called. Like... (laughs) extremely on the nose like just just a bit and also just like you know what was like calling you know like oh my god like that's a bit much (laughs) i forgot that happened so i was like that startled me too um i do not remember that from the first episode from the first time watching this yeah but anyway they then break into a private room with the chest and toff metal bends a key to try to open the box right when hama comes home um she then reveals that in the box is this whale tooth comb from the Southern Water Tribe, which is her greatest treasure because it's the only thing left from her childhood there. Mm. Uh, and like Katara's delighted by all this. And she knew that, like, you know, Thomas said she knew that they were Water Tribe because she was eavesdropping on their fireside conversations, which. Mm. Um, and she bought them food from the market to make a big Water Tribe dinner. And this just builds Katara's trust in Hama, and Sokka then apologizes for sneaking around and looking at her stuff. That night, she's as she's distributing soup to the group, she uses water bending to do it, which mm-hmm. Katara is just absolutely, like, absolutely starstruck Delighted. by this. She is yes. so excited because she's never met another water bender from the Southern Water Tribe before. Mm-hmm. Hama then reveals that she is the last one because the Fire Nation wiped them out. And she then tells them how she was kidnapped from her home 60 years ago. So flashback, uh, we see the ash from the Fire Nation ships raining down, which I think we saw in the northern, like the invasion of the Northern Water Tribe as well. Right. We see a much stronger Southern Water Tribe with a taller wall, more established village, and a lot more villagers than what we saw in season one. Because this, this again also confused me because I never know if the Southern Water Tribe we saw in the first episode is like literally the Southern Water Tribe or just one, one tribe village. in the South Pole. Yeah. I, it's very unclear. I don't know if if this Water Tribe we see in this flashback is the same one that's in episode one. Yeah. Uh, but either way, your point that it's it's much more fortified and um like, like yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I always get confused about that. Yeah, me too. That's it is quite confusing. But in the flashback, the Fire Nation captures the waterbenders more and more until Tama is the last one standing, until she was mm. captured too, and placed in a Fire Nation prison, and she was the only one who managed to escape. Sokka then tries to ask her how she escaped and why she stayed in the Fire Nation, but she says it's too painful to continue with her story. Mm. Katara then sympathizes with her, you know, mentions that like she lost her mother too from the Fire Nation, and you know, they bond over that. And she calls her a hero. Hama then offers her teachers her teachings as a waterbender, which Katara immediately accepts, and she wants to learn more about her heritage. So they go out, and in their first lesson the next day, Hama teaches her how to find and control water wherever she can find it. And Katara references taking using waterbending using her own sweat. Yeah. Um, she then drains water from the air and gives herself these ice nails, which is also one of the, like, the, like, the, when she points, like, she points the ice nails, like, at the, kind of at the camera, and, like, mm-hmm. it just, this is one of the most visually stunning episodes of the entire series. You cannot change my mind. And it is also metal as fuck. Yeah. 
She then shows Katara how to use the water from living plants and kills a bunch of lilies in the process. Like, Lily drains them and kills them, leaving a big black circle of dead flowers mm-hmm. in this field of these beautiful fire lilies, I think they're called. Yeah, and I love this because it's like one of the great moments of the episode where there's the contrast of death, but the technique of waterbending and like the price that kind of had to be paid to use that water, which I, I think it eases us in later to the idea of bloodbending. But I think this is almost along with like the eye snails is one of the first hints that Hama is like, mm, not it was like, not quite what she seems. <laughs> not quite hip to the jive yeah. with the kids or anything. Just a bit. Yeah. She then says to Katara about this, like, you know, Katara says like, oh, it's a shame about the plants. She's like, oh, they're just plants. Kind of like, also kind of hinting at her lack of empathy. Um, but exactly. she says to her, when you're a waterbender in a strange land, you do what you must to survive. We'll put a pin mm. in that. Hama then prompts to teach her the ultimate form of waterbending that night that can only be done during the full moon. Katara is concerned about the disappearances in those woods, but Hama promises, like, we're two master waterbenders during the full moon. What have you got to be scared of? Aang and Sokka, meanwhile, try to investigate to see if there's any spiritual issues around these parts. And I know it's not an important plot point, but like Toph's like, maybe the moon spirit's just being a jerk today. <laughs> and like Sokka's like, no, she's a gentle, loving lady and she would never do anything like like, who rules the skies with compassion and lunar goodness like, and lunar goodness like <laughs> had to laugh at that yeah and also I'm just glad that like I know we saw UA in the beginning of the season but like it's just nice to see that she hasn't been forgotten like she's mentioned sporadically oh, yeah. throughout the series and besides yeah. the you know my first girlfriend turned to the moon type thing which I am very excited <laughs> for that part Aang then asks a passerby about the disappearances, and he says there's only one survivor of those kidnappings, and it was Old Man Ding, who was very annoyed at being called an old man. (laughs) But I'm young at heart. They then find him boarding up his house as the full moon rises overhead. When When they ask him about how, you know, when he was kidnapped and what happened to him, he said that he felt like he was possessed and was forced to walk to the mountain in to a cave in the mountain. Mm. But right before he could be taken to the cave, the sun came up and he regained control of his body and escaped. He was the only one who managed to escape. Scary. Yep. <laughs> Toph then realizes that, this, that there were actually, that there was screaming people under the mountain that were still there. They hightail it mm-hmm. to the cave following Toph's lead. She metal bends through the door to find dozens of prisoners chained to the walls. The villagers then reveal that it wasn't a spirit who killed them. They were not killed them. Sorry, who kidnapped them. Let's try that again. Who killed them? <laughs> They're all dead. They're all ghosts now. Spooky. <laughs> anyway, let's try that again. The villagers then reveal that it wasn't a spirit who kidnapped them. It was an old woman, a witch, who is not as what she seems. As soon as she refers to the old woman with being a puppet master, roll credits, uh, Sokka then puts two and two together and realizes they need to go after Hama. Mm-hmm. Hama then brings Katara to the forest and we get some more spooky ass imagery. We get the owl, we get the wind blowing through the trees. Like uh, yeah, I love the I love just the subtext of the setting and just the overall spooky nature. Because <clears throat> when you're watching this for the first time, you don't know what's coming, obviously, but you know something is coming. And that creates like, you know, that feeling of suspense and and like being scared about what's what's about to happen. Absolutely. We know something big's happening, and here it is. Hama then describes more of her time in the Fire Nation prison, where dry air was pumped in so they couldn't pull water from it. Mm -hmm. The cages were above the ground, and whenever they were given water, they were tied up so that they couldn't bend. To survive, Hama found another source of water to bend. Using the rats in her cell, after decades of imprisonment, she learned to control bodies through their blood, the water in their blood, with the power Mm -hmm. of the full moon. And that's how she made her escape. Uh, Katara's not cool with this. She's like, um, I don't want to learn this power. That's kind of fucked up. Yep. But Hama wants her to learn. She wants her to get revenge for her culture, for her mother, by any means necessary. There's that quote from before. Any means necessary. She then puts two and two together and realizes that Hama is making people disappear and promises to, and she says, I'm not going to learn this. This is insane. Like, but I'm not going to let you get away with this either. And then we get to see bloodbending in action again. Like, it was creepy enough in the, like, flashback, but now we see her using bloodbending against one of our 
main characters. Yeah. And like, can we talk about the sound design for Bloodbend? Because it always sets my teeth on edge. Like, it's just so unnerving. Like, it's unnerving, made... and it's worse in Legend of Korra. Like, they turn it's, it up. Oh to my an god, 11. they really upped the sound effect yeah. on Legend of Korra, where it's just like, <sighs> yeah. Like, <sighs> but I think that really plays into uh the just the horrific nature of bloodbending and. Yeah, and uh, we've kind of talked about it in the past, but uh, I mean, obviously from Katara's reaction, like it's it's obviously not a pleasant feeling. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it. I guess it would depend on the person because later on, Aang says that it like feels weird. So I don't know if it's like inherently painful to be bloodbent. It's definitely not comfortable. It just sounds painful and looks painful too. Yeah, yeah. I like, think Katara <sighs> was, was more crying about how the way her arm was being twisted and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Like this seems again not something you would expect in a sh- in a show like this. And I mean, obviously, we don't actually see any like blood or anything. But it's just <clears throat> it just seems very uh very mature for the audience that they're going for. Um, and I wish I could remember my reaction when I watched this first time, but I don't remember. I don't remember it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really really unnerving. Um, but in a you know another masterful instance of world building, um, obviously this is something that someone would eventually like realize, you know. And I I am of the opinion that Hama is not the only one that developed the skill or thought about it. Um, I don't I just don't think it was passed down at all, or I think it was very no. much kept a secret. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure that like as we see like Yakon's another bloodbender mm-hmm. in Legend of Korra, like. He probably figured either like learned from someone else who figured it out or he figured it out himself, you know, like I, I think you can figure it out himself. And I think while Katara, I think it was the right decision to uh, to outlaw bloodbending. It also made bloodbending like a public knowledge thing, whereas I don't think it's that at this point in the world's history. I mean, I know it's not a great comparison, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's kind of like, yeah, here's all the street terms for drugs and here's all the different like drugs that are out there. And also don't, don't like huff paint and don't do that. Like don't huff paint to get high. You can huff paint to get high. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, we'll talk more about that. I'm sure once we get to Korra, Mm -hmm. um, Hama then proceeds to throw Katara around using bloodbending. And Katara then proceeds to take what she's learned and pull water from the nature around her, the trees, you know, the other plants. The grass, yeah. The grass. She uses a bunch of different bending techniques. You even see her do like an earth bending move, mm-hmm. which completely throws Hama off guard, expecting her to kind of fall back on the push and pull aspect of water bending. Yeah. And, you know, like this, uh, there's a whole post about it, about that fight that I can't find right now, but it's just analyzing exactly what moves Katara chooses to use. Absolutely. Um, just, again, shows how much of a master she is at waterbending through using other techniques. Yeah, and again, it's just it's just realistic because when you're living and fighting with other benders, of course you're going to pick up on techniques that maybe are not traditional with just one sect of bending. You know, I think that's a, exactly. a really cool way of, of just making it realistic, you know, because it's like when you're around a group of people a long time, you... um pick up on like ma- other people's mannerisms or phrases that you find finding yourself like that. Like, it's just like a consequence of hanging around with people for a long time. And in this instance, it, that translates into everyone using uh like different f- techniques from the other's element in their own bending, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it makes them better benders. Exactly. It definitely makes them, it makes them more versatile and, and much, uh, I also think much more formidable as an opponent, you know, because then it, 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 throws this whole wild card into the dynamic and it's kind of unpredictable. You don't know like what's exactly is what you can expect from someone like that. Absolutely. Uh, well then Aang and Sokka show up and they say that, you know, like stop, like stop it. You're outnumbered. And she says, no, you've outnumbered yourselves and then proceeds to use Aang and Sokka against each other, mm-hmm. forcing Katara to have to think fast. Like she almost uses Sokka to kill Aang. Yeah. Like it's like, that's like high stakes for it. Um, Katara has to think fast of what she does next and then she uses bloodbending to stop Hama from killing her friends mm-hmm. Toph then arrives with the rest of the villagers who take Hama away to prison but Hama doesn't care because her work here is done she says as much she then turns to Katara as she's taken away and says sarcastically congratulations Katara you're a bloodbender and 
Katara then starts to weep as Hama is taken away. And Hama is just laughing like an old school Disney villain. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> she technically won here. She got exactly what she wanted yeah. out of Katara. And Katara now has the knowledge that she never wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah, very... There's no, like, button at the end where, like, the... the I mean, the gang does kind of come for her at the end, but there's it, it ends on a very kind of bleak note, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Great episode. Like, this is, like, a top 10 episode for me. For sure. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like... I think it's a very unique episode, and it has absolutely. a lot of ramifications for the world. I mean, we see, like, the consequences of this episode in future episodes, like the Southern Raiders, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, this episode, you know, has ramifications into the future of, you know, the franchise with Legend of Korra. We see it again. Yep, absolutely. But also, I wanted to talk a little bit about the visuals in this episode. I know we mentioned it briefly, but, like, whenever I think of, like, some of the best episodes of Avatar, this obviously comes to mind with, like, just... There's a lot of images that stand out from the series. Like, big ones, like, you know, like the, you know, the giant spiritual purple Aang that we see in, you know, this season two finale. And, you know, Aang, you know, floating in that... Also in the season two finale. It's another very good visual episode. But also, I think of, like, Katara with, like, the tears streaming down her face and, like, her head's down. And then she, like, that termination, she tries to fight back. You know, like, Hama's facial expressions of, like, you know... The you know, like she has like the hand in front of her face and like that maniacal look, and like you know, it's just very visually like it's a visual standout, absolutely. Yes, and there is also something about that that I found really impactful that you don't really uh see or hear in animation, which is. When Katara, when it, it has like, you know, the full moon and it transitions to Katara's face and you can hear Katara breathing through her nose. It is a weird thing to point out, but to me, it is so impactful because it's showing us that Katara is, you know, summoning her strength, summoning her power, getting herself in the zone. And that's not something that it's such a little detail that a lot of shows don't even think about. But I think it, it was really impactful um, to shift the dynamic over to Katara's side and give her the upper hand. Yeah. Um. So if that's just small things like that that I I really appreciate. Um, Details. And not to mention that fight was absolutely killer. Um, oh yeah. I, I I just especially love the imagery of of Hama using the water from the trees and that the trees kind of like exploding. Yes. Um, I was going to point that out next. Like. Yeah. Like that <sighs> is a really really cool detail that they decided to use. So. And I think it was interesting that Katara was using stuff, water from the grass and Hama from the trees. Um, like, it's because it's almost like, again, Katara not not mimicking uh, Hama or, like, trying to use the same technique. Like, it's, I think it subtly hints at that. Um, but yeah, there's so many great things in this episode. Good episode. Absolutely. Oh, my God. One of the best in the series, hands down. All right, so um, Azula didn't appear in either episode, therefore we have no Azula bells to add to the counter. Uh, The counter is currently at 45, um, but that's where it will stay for this episode, so let's move on to Fandom Corner. Yes, so as you know, we always encourage people to send in stuff for Fandom Corner, so we have a DM from the one and only Captain uh, underscore Thunder underscore Thighs on Instagram. Phenomenal username. Mm -hmm. We always comment on good usernames. And so... Uh, it's, I believe, talking about the beach episode. Uh, uh, well, this was this was admittedly sent back to us in uh, August. Um, so I think I think this was oh, after it was our unpopular episode, our unpopular Avatar opinions episode. Okay, this is from August, so yeah. we're sorry about that. But we will we're talking about it now. That's what matters. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this is from our unpopular opinions episode. And this person said, hey, just listen to today's episode. And I completely agree with Andre's unpopular opinion about May and Zuko. I actually z- ship Zuko and Suki. And I think they're more fitting for each other. This may sound crazy, but there's lots of evidence from the comments that suggest that they may have become a couple or at least had feelings for one another. Interesting. I don't think I ever would have clocked that. I have never heard that ship before. No, me neither. Never. And I thought I've heard all of the ships out there. <laughs> That's interesting. I I'm interested to see how that manifests in the comics. Um cuz yeah. I'm assuming that Suki has some bad blood towards Zuko whether or not he, you know, became good or not because I mean he did kind of burn down her village. Yeah. Um and maybe she would 
hold Zuko accountable for Azula's actions as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't I can't exactly remember how she behaved toward him in the Boiling Rock episode. Um, so we're going to have to visit that in a couple episodes from now. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. Well, definitely. We're, we're kind of putting we're going to put a pin in that and see what we think when we get to those um, at the comics. Definitely. But thank you for sharing your opinion. We really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. um, if if anyone is interested uh, in going back to that episode, that is episode 51 on popular Avatar opinions. It is a good episode. We say a lot. Of, we have a lot of spicy takes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. As the kids say, spicy. <laughs> anyway. All right, on to recommendations. Kayla, what do you re- uh, recommend this week? I know this episode comes out after Halloween, but for us, it's Halloween weekend right now. But mm. I recommend it any day of the year anyway. Uh, Jennifer's Body I, has mm. gotten a bit of a cult following in the last few years. Um, it came out in 2009 starring Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. And J.K. Simmons in this movie, which I was very surprised by. Uh, but anyway, it is basically, if you haven't heard about it, shame on you. I'm kidding. It's fine. Uh, it's on Amazon. Prime, if you wanted to listen, if you wanted to give it a watch, it's basically, uh, like this, like Megan Fox play this this popular cheerleader character who, um, after a sacrifice, after she has used a sacrifice by an indie band that wants to get, uh, you know, signed on to Fueled by Ramen, um, she gets sacrificed to Satan. It goes wrong, and she ends up becoming the succubus and eats boys at their school. Um, and like, it's just, it's, it is a, it is like, it's a little campy. It's very 2009, like, holy shit. Um, but unfortunately it was very, um, very male gazy in the marketing. Um, Mm -hmm. but like a lot of queer folks out there like this movie, um, you know, and Megan Fox has said that it's her, one of her favorite roles she's ever done. Um, but it's, it is a good, it is a good movie. It's not really like super duper scary, honestly, um like so if you're not really into like hardcore horror there is some, a lot of there's there's gore so if you have a problem with gore maybe skip ahead in a few scenes um but it's really not that scary so if you want to like kind of dip your toe into like the horror genre this is a good one to start out with um you know it's cool. it's queer very a lot of feminist themes and uh it's i think everyone should watch it at least once so jennifer's body check it out cool how about you andre what do you recommend i've been trying to recommend this for like the past couple of weeks but there were other things i keep seeing it on the docs <laughs> <laughs> there were other things that kept popping up that I want to recommend more, um, but this is a much more appropriate time. Um, I have to recommend Midnight Mass on Netflix. I watched this a couple weeks ago, and it is a very, very interesting series. If you don't know, this is um, a Mike Flanagan project, and if you've watched Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Blind Manor, um, this is kind of like, I'm going to say the third installment of his like Netflix horror series. It's not that scary at all. Um, I definitely think it's not scarier than Bly Manor. Um, there are just like some moments that are like mild jump scares and there's some like a, some disturbing imagery. But other than that, I it's not really that scary. Um, there, I do have to give you a warning because if you have any sort of religious trauma, uh, this show will definitely, definitely awaken that um, as it did me. Oh, no. Um, but... I think it's a really good show um, and it had a really interesting ending. So I would definitely check it out. Midnight Mass on Netflix. I've been meaning to check it out. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah. So hmm, maybe I will. Maybe I will. And it's perfect. Again, if you want to dip your toe into the horror stuff, it's really not. It's more unsettling than it is like scary, you know? Yeah. Um, So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right. And with that, as always, if you'd like some extra Avatar Hour in your life, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast for benefits like access to our show notes, the ad-free Avatar Hour, and of course, our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour. Our newest one is going to be us reacting to Avatar Halloween costumes, and boy, are they interesting. Uh, We also have some other great episodes like us reacting to Avatar TikTok, checking out what kind of bender we would be. Uh, through like, you know, one of those like personality quizzes and all that good stuff. So we have a couple of really good ones up there. So check mm-hmm. that out. And of course, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Avatar Hour and at the Avatar Hour podcast on Facebook and Instagram. So you can also send us your fandom corner opinions and things like that. And we'll share it on the show. Yeah. And if you want your voice to make a special appearance on the show, feel free to record your theories or any feedback about the show on the voice memo app on your phone and email them over to the avatar hour podcast at gmail.com. But yeah, that wraps it up for us. Hopefully everyone had a very exciting and spooky Halloween weekend. 
and safe. Yes. Um, we will see you next week. Until then, my name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, Bye everyone. everyone. Bye.